0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Books, Love, and Fairy Dust. I'm your host, Jenna. I'm your host, Sophie. For today's episode, we are doing bookish unpopular opinions. We asked everybody to send in their bookish unpopular opinions on the podcast account, and we're going to discuss them. We added in some of our own as well, and we'll discuss those, whether or not we agree or disagree, and if we think you're crazy or not. Um, But (laughs) that's on the docket today. we've got got a good amount i think
1: yeah we've got about 20 so we'll try to get through most of them and give our opinions all of these will be anonymous so if you sent them to us thank you so much as always
0: all right so we won't dox you don't worry yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right let's dive right in the first one we have is tension
0: is better than spice jenna how do you feel about that one Okay, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I think it fully depends. I am a spice lover. I love it. I, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily need. I don't need spice or smut, whatever you want to call it, f- to enjoy a book. I really don't. Um, but I do think it adds something to the romance. I think that intimacy is a large part of like a long term and like loving relationship with somebody. And I think that Smut, when done tastefully and in a reasonable amount, <laughs> is good for, you know, the relationship and the story. And I am a very big proponent of that. But I think it depends on the entire vibe of the book. I think if it's like an angstier book or a slower, yeah. obviously tension is huge. Um, Like in Mariana Zapata books, like the tension in those, it's like what makes it good um but I don't necessarily have a preference over I, I'd rather have both honestly yeah I'd- I I fully
1: agree with that and I think that for me um the tension adds to the spice like yeah. I would much rather have a story that has like high tension like I wouldn't say that I like prefer slow burns in any way I like anything basically um but slow burns hit different because the tension adds up and then you get to the spice and it pays off more than a i guess a like a regular interpretation of like a story with romantic you know yeah i i just i think that i love them both i do feel like sometimes like tension like it almost i don't know i feel like i could say that both hit hard and i think it's definitely dependent on the situation kind of like what you said like i think it just adds a lot to the story both of them do um i like i said though i think that if you have a lot like high tension the spice will be better in in retrospect for me personally
0: yeah and i can agree with that i think there's so many different types of books that it differs i've read plenty where like there's like a little bit of tension and then they're just banging like bunny rabbits and then there's ones <laughs> where it's like oh my god i'm going to combust if they yeah, like 90% tension, 10% spice. And yeah, you know, if they I don't, like,
1: I eat up all of them.
0: Yeah. If they don't bump uglies right now, I'm going to explode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. You know what? If you don't rub and tug <laughs> right away. Come on now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think together is better. Yeah. I don't have necessarily a preference over either. I think it fully depends on the book I'm reading and like the vibe of it. Yeah, I don't prefer
1: insta-love, but I don't hate it either. I think that what insta-love lacks is tension. And that's why it doesn't hit as hard as, like, other situations in romance books. But I just wanted to add that. I guess that's an unpopular opinion as well. Like, a lot of people have stances on insta-love. But for me, I prefer tension. So this one kind of, like, ties into the insta-love
0: issue. Yeah, I... Also don't have issues with insta-love. There's a, plenty of books that I've read and enjoyed and given high ratings that were insta-love. And I think a lot of people will automatically dock a book quite heavily for it being insta-love. But to me, I'm like, if I was kicking my feet and giggling. I'm having a good time. I don't yeah. care if y'all fall in love on the sixty, the page 60. Like, I don't care. Um, Obviously, I'd prefer a little more build-up. But I think it can be done right all right so the second one we have is unplanned pregnancy hits in a book sophie i feel as though you feel pretty strongly about this one so i'll let you take it i'm like i'm (laughs) like let me out let me
1: out i need my moment um we all know we all know i mean i think here's my actual stance on all of this I had no strong opinions on Unplanned Pregnancy for the last two years of my reading journey. All I knew is that a lot of people didn't like it. I read primarily fantasy when I started out, and a lot of people in the fantasy community do not enjoy Unplanned Pregnancy, which kind of makes sense considering it's the fantasy genre and they don't read as much romance. But my opinion is, don't knock it until you try it. If you try it and you don't like it, that's fine. Like, that's completely fine. That's up to your own personal opinion. I personally love the unplanned pregnancy trope because I do think that it allows for you to have more of a realistic domestic storyline between the two characters and it forms a different form of love that you don't see in just two people falling in love because a lot of the unplanned pregnancy story is two people falling in love and also learning how to co-parent or be partners in a different way. Um, and I don't want to say that it's because they're tied to each other for a reason, but in some ways it's a more extreme version of forced proximity, which I think is very interesting. And basically every unplanned pregnancy book I've read, they, there's such a deeper connection between the characters because they have literally made something together. They've mm-hmm. made life together. And that's like a very beautiful thing to read about and witness. And I think that... Um, both the male main character and female main character have these really beautiful moments between each other because they're taking care of each other and they're learning how to navigate this new space. I, I love the unplanned pregnancy trope. I, you know, my my two favorites, and I haven't read as much as I want to, and we're actually planning to read more so that we can talk about it more and have possibly a whole episode dedicated to it because we have found that we really, really enjoy the dynamic it brings um, but my two favorites are Ready or Not by Caraba Stone and Out in a Limb by Hannah Bonham Young. They just have such sweet moments that are so memorable. And I think that's the thing about Unplanned Pregnancy. It is very memorable. That's my whole tangent, my rant. Um, <laughs> mic drop.
0: <laughs> I, I would agree. Um, I Like Sophie said, we haven't read too many of them. And it's something that we're looking to explore more um And my two favorite unplanned accidental pregnancies, whatever you want to call it, are also ready or not or <laughs> and or um out on a limb. Um, I think I also think that it is, I guess, kind of like a unique storyline. Like it happens so often in real life, but in romance books, it feels like they stray away from anything like yeah, that. It's like taboo. Yeah, in yeah. Like a weird way. And I feel like it's a, Beautiful take on something that happens so so often like obviously all romance books for the most part are going to be reminiscent of real life and love stories that the author has experienced or like their own love story etc but I feel like people in real life view unplanned pregnancies as like this life-ending horrible thing like look down on people who do have unplanned pregnancies outside of a loving committed relationship and I think that this shines such like a nice light on that scenario and I think it can offer a different perspective for people who are reading it and being like oh you know what it happens and these people are human they made mistakes like and something good can come of it it doesn't need to be like this automatically horrible thing you know what I mean does that make sense
1: yeah (laughs) no I 100% I think it shines a more like touching and beautiful light on it and kind of yeah. makes it more of like a blessing and it's such a taboo trope and I think that it's becoming more popular because people realize how much can come out of it and how much like so many people I feel like this summer like this last summer of 2023 it was like life-changing for the unplanned yeah. pregnancy trope um
0: yeah but yeah these are we are both die hard unplanned pregnancy fans I will never turn down a book just because it's accidental pregnancy and going further into that real quick i understand everybody has opinions you've probably read a trope before that didn't do it for you but i also think that you shouldn't completely deny a trope or a book because of a trope just because you've read one in the past or read two in the past that didn't do it for you i think every trope has the ability to be done right and i think on like accidental pregnancy plays into that i think things like love triangles or cheating like obviously don't recommend it it's obviously not a good thing but i have read books where there is quote-unquote like cheating not like full-blown like you know you know what i'm saying in it, and just like, I feel like every trope has the ability to redeem itself. Insta love, unplanned pregnancy, whatever it may be. And I think you are doing yourself a disservice as a reader to deny yourself a trope or a book. Yeah. Because it didn't work for you in the past tense. Because yeah. Because there are so many books out there and so many talented authors that you don't know what you're going to come across. Okay. The next one is, if I don't like a book, I will DNF it.
1: Okay. I think that that's standard. I think that I'm trying to get to that point because I've DNF'd a few books in my reading journey. A lot of them were more earlier on and I think what it is for me is that as time goes on my taste kind of centers itself and I'm I'm able to un, like know going into a book if this one is the one for me or I, I know like what books I'm attracted to and what I'll actually pick up. um. Personally, if I'm not liking a book, I usually try to find the audio version because if I'm so far into the storyline, I kind of get annoyed that I'm like, I want to be able to just finish this. (laughs) But um, and in a few instances where I was almost like bored or like the whatever the situation was, I usually try to pick up the audiobook. But I think it's a really good foundation. I think a lot of people are trying to get to that point more recently. of DNFing when you don't like it because that's like a a great thing because life is too short to read books you don't enjoy you know there's other books that especially with all of us and I know a lot of people listening can relate like I have hundreds of books on my TBR and I have hundreds of physical books that I need to get to so if I'm really not liking something and I know it's not for me then DNFing is a good principle to have in my opinion.
0: I would agree. I also am trying to be better at it. I think I kind of fall into the category of people who will stick it out. Yeah. <laughs> Read books I don't enjoy, even though life is too short. Um, Because there have been instances where I've been reading a book and I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this. And then I hit like the 60% mark. And I'm like, oh, shit, never mind. I really enjoyed this. And yeah, I think I kind of now and focusing on the principle of like if by 50% I'm not sure if I really want to pick up this book or if I'm really loving it or enjoying myself, then I will be like, okay, do I want to continue to give it a chance? Like, do I think it could go somewhere where I'm enjoying it? Or do I just want to stop reading? And I also think that people DNFing a book is important because I do think that there's a lot of negativity in the book world. And I think a lot of people will continue to read a book even though they're not enjoying it for the sake of being able to say they hated it and that they didn't enjoy it. And that's a conversation for another time. And I feel like I'm kind of me and Sophie are on the outskirts of that conversation. Um but I think that if you don't if you're not enjoying a book, then you're not enjoying a book and you don't need to hop on the internet and publicly shame it and like behead it on goodreads just say you dnf'd it and it wasn't for you like yeah however you want to go about doing that fine but i also think like a lot of people will not dnf a book for the sake of being mean for fun they
1: call it hate reading
0: yeah like why are you literally
1: finish the book to like they like out of spite like they're like i'm gonna finish this so i can like you know i personally think that i'm stubborn and when i'm reading books i'm like I'll literally, sometimes I'll text Jenna and be like, I'm not in the mood for this. And she's like, then pick up something else. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to finish. <laughs> like, And I so, totally
0: get that. I don't like yeah. to put in the time into a book and be like, well, I am not enjoying this. I'd rather be reading something else. And I get frustrated with that. But I also just like, I don't know. I, I'm trying to adopt. Like, I don't want to. I don't know there's so many factors that go into it if you're not enjoying 100% a book, I was just, just gonna DNF. say that um
1: sorry <laughs> I was just gonna say that sometimes when I'm trying when I'm not in the mood for it or if I feel like I want to dnf it or I'm like I'm not really feeling this I know that it I could possibly just have a case of like right book wrong time you know what I mean the next one we have is I don't believe in book buying bans <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like this is such a funny one for me to respond to. Um so, okay. I if you know me, you know I love to buy books and yeah. it is actually a problem. Um I I am kind of on a book buying ban, but also not. Um, and this is a conversation I think Sophie and I have saved for a different episode. Um, but I'm trying to focus more on reading books that I can read on my Kindle before I buy them. Um, and just kind of, like, you know, managing my purchases more wisely. Because there are plenty of books that I have physically that I read. And I was like, I want to punt this book across the room. and Or you way. just
1: kind of realize, like, I could have gone without having this as, like, a copy on my bookshelf. You know? Yeah.
0: So... I definitely think book buying bans are good in theory and I think they can be useful for people who are like me and do have issues with buying too many books that they don't have space or the finances for Uh, because I think it can hold people accountable. But I also just like, I think it is completely subjective to what you want it to mean. Like I'm on a book buying ban where I'm like, I'm not going to be buying 20, 30 books a month because I don't need to buy 20, 30 books a month, but I'm also not going to like punch myself in the face if I decide, oh, you know what? I really want this book. I've heard really good things or I read it on my Kindle or whatever, and it's $15, I'm gonna buy it. You know what I mean? Like, It's kind of like, for me, I view a book buying ban as kind of like a looser term, like kind of just like being aware of what I'm spending, but also not completely limiting myself to zero books for however long.
1: I yeah, I agree. I feel like book buying bands are great and I think it's completely subjective, like Jenna said. But for me personally, I do my own way of doing it where I kind of find ways to make sure that what I'm buying I'm actually going to enjoy. Like I make sure that when I buy a book, I'm buying it for a reason and it's not just gonna be on my shelf. Um, I think because I'm a college student and because I don't have a full time job right now, um, buying books for me is almost a luxury and I'm very much a frugal person. So I don't buy a lot of books, but I also make sure that when I am buying them, that I'm buying them consciously and I'm making sure because I know that I have a long physical TBR. Um, But yeah, I try to be very aware of my, my spending with books, but I also don't put too much pressure on myself where I feel guilty. Because that's not a good mindset to have. <laughs> like you shouldn't shame yourself for that. Because at the end of the day. How I view it is. If you like to read a lot. And it brings you joy. Don't feel guilty for indulging in what b- brings you joy. Because for me reading is like we've said before. It's a, a great way for me to escape. It's a great way to help my anxiety. It's ha- There's so many different reasons that people read. And when I buy a book and then I feel kind of guilty after, I realize that this is my hobby and this is what I enjoy doing and don't feel guilty for it.
0: Yeah. I get I agree. 100%. Listen to Sophie. Mm-hmm.
1: She's a genius. Motivational
0: speaker. Okay, so the next one we have is, I don't care if a series doesn't match on my shelves in terms of height or color. I am a
1: massive organizer freak so everything has to be like I organize by height specifically and then I put series together um I personally would like my series to match um I just think it's easier for me but I try to like sometimes I try to avoid like if a third book or fourth book or whatever like the next book in the series comes out and it's both like it's hardcover I tried to, like, avoid having, like, one paperback and one hardcover. Um, but in my eyes, I think that a lot of the series I have do match according to size and color and such um, automatically because that's how the authors, like, make it. Um, and I prefer it, but I don't get too butthurt if it isn't that way.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think it depends. Like... For example, with, like, Boys of Tommen, she, Chloe Walsh, signed with Bloom. So my concern, because she hasn't, the series hasn't been fully released yet. So my concern with it was, are these books going to be shorter than the first ones that I have? In terms of, like, how they look on my shelves. And I, at the end of the day, I wouldn't really care. It wouldn't, like, stop me from buying the book or anything like that. But I definitely, like, would prefer if they matched. But I don't necessarily like aesthetic purposes. I feel like it's just nice. Yeah, like I agree. Like honestly, I hate the whole like marketing money grab scheme of authors now only. Well, I guess it's not the author themselves, but the publishers only putting out the hardcover for like a year before come out with the paperback. It is genuinely the most frustrating thing ever because people are still going to buy the book no matter what. Like yeah are you kidding me like what because a hardcover is ten dollars more expensive like screw all of us and our bookshelves because you want the money as if you're not going to get it anyways okay the next one we have
1: is i love love triangles it makes for good drama
0: i don't disagree i think it can be done right and i'm not going to discount a book just because it has a love triangle I honestly haven't read too many where there is one, so I don't feel like I have that strong of an opinion on it. But I definitely... (laughs) I mean, I would prefer if I didn't have to deal with the, oh, who's she going to end up with? But, like, I also, like, I get it, you know? Like, I get being like, oh, yeah, the drama. Like, who's she going to end up with? Like, honestly, and say you swear by Megan Brandy. There's a little love triangle going on there. And honestly, I wouldn't mind it if the original love interest didn't fucking blow. I oh, could yeah. stand that guy.
1: Yeah. I feel like love triangles are so situational. Um I love the drama as well. There's something about it. However, this is more I mean, they're books but I haven't read them yet and I plan to. But the Hunger Games love triangle is criminal and no one no one warned me. For that. I just finished those movies and I was like, why did she? Oh my god. And I was just like, both my boyfriend and I were like reacting viscerally because we were like, how is this still happening? Like, what is going on? And I think that the movie probably brings a lot of context out of it in some ways. But the the like original loved interest, or you know, a lot of people know who I'm talking about. Gail. He was abominable. He was just bad. I did not like him. There was something about it. But I've read a good amount of Love Triangles, but I've also, like, I, there's more that I haven't. Like, The Inheritance Games is a good one. I have no idea who she ends up with. I couldn't tell you. Um, That's never gotten spoiled to me.
0: Never but I know that.
1: that's a big one. Um, Yeah, I've never read that. Like, I don't know. I guess another one would be Shatter Me in some way, but I don't know. I personally... There's not a lot of tropes that I stay away from and love triangles is definitely not one of them. I think it adds a lot to it. Um, One of my favorite books is a love triangle trope in like a new, like a different way. I think a lot of it too is the only time where I kind of dislike love triangles is when she's clearly leading on both of the male leads and you're like, okay, come on. Like it almost feels like a goddamn dating show. It's like, how can you love both of them? And I know people say, like, you can love two people at once. Like, I want to understand her motives. And I want to understand if these men are good for her or whatever. But I don't know. My I, I don't have a strong opinion on love triangles. I enjoy them most of the time. Okay. So the next one we have kind of almost ties into this one. Kale isn't bad. So, Kale from Throne of Glass isn't bad. And boy, do I have an opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like it's a pretty universal experience that when you're reading Throne of Glass, you go through, like, the the stages, you know? The five stages of grief. Yeah. The five stages of love. <laughs> yeah. And at first, loved Kale. I mean, I was team dorian and then i was like oh you know what they're besties and they know that they're their And i was like team kale let's go I'm like okay and then you know things happen and then i was like what the hell shut the fuck up what are you being serious right now and i wanted to slap him disrespectfully i did but then i think tower of dawn is a great book Don't skip Tower of Dawn. If you skip Tower of Dawn, you are doing yourself a disservice, not only because Kingdom of Ash directly relates to a lot that happens in Tower of Dawn, but you're also missing out on great, 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 great character development and romance and just a lot of good stuff. So don't skip Tower of Dawn just because you don't like Kale. I just think, I don't think Kale is bad at all. And I think he's a hypocrite. Because, without spoiling anything, he was okay with it being that way for one person and not okay with it being like that for another. Yeah. And regardless of what his reasons are, he was hypocritical. And I didn't like that. And I don't, I'm not going to forgive him for what he did to this person because of it. And the way he treated them. But I do think he learned in Tower of Dawn. He was put in his place and he was humbled. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's a lot to be said for the way that Kale was raised and the insight you get into his family that speaks a lot to his character. So I like and love Kale. He I do just too. Pissed me off for a little bit.
1: Yeah I think that it's natural and that's how Sarah wanted the readers to feel (laughs) Um, but I think the only thing I really have to add and you already like touched on it is that Kale is a product of his environment he is ignorant in some ways and it's not completely his fault because he just grew up in this world he was taught certain things he grew up in a family with certain morals and I think that carries on and you can't necessarily hold it too accountable to him because it's not, you know, he's it's like a he's a product of his environment in some way and I think that we get enough of him and enough of his character growth to recognize that he has changed and I, I love him and I love his story and I personally really liked um, Tower of Dawn for many reasons that Jenna already mentioned, but I also think it was nice that he was, slight spoiler, healing physically and mentally because I think that's, like, an interested added aspect to his character because he is, like, the guard and he lost a part of himself, Mm -hmm. literally, you know? So I think that that his character um, arc is very interesting and I really love him and I think that, I don't know, I didn't really, like... For the first few books, I was kind of annoyed of him. And I didn't, I wasn't like super into him and Selena, um, But that was just like my own personal opinion. and I knew that I was just like reading it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't have super strong opinions. And at the end of the day, I love literally
0: all Throne of Glass characters except the villain and another one. <laughs> <laughs> Say his name because I'll back you up. ADN! <laughs> Fuck that guy
1: oh uh, but anyways I think that Throne of Glass actually is so good with the characters mm-hmm. I think that that's like her one of her I, I might say it's her best series in terms of characters because they're all so unique and have these like different arcs and storylines and growth and it's so interesting but I love Kale and I can understand where people are coming from when they say they hate him but I think just try. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people love to hate Kale, especially because he is a man and he does some man things. He does (laughs) some things that might be considered toxic masculinity.
0: Yes. And just remember, this is fantasy, so half these men are toxic. In their own way. Up next is actually an interesting one. Because I i had to think about it enemies to lovers does not work as a trope in romantic comedies
1: oh i personally don't fully disagree or agree on this i'm kind of neutral stance i think that enemies to lovers excels in fantasy i think that in rom-coms rivals to lovers or some sort of like Hate to lovers instead of enemies because I when I think of enemies to lovers books that I really liked, I think it's more like mortal eminies and enemies. Um, when I think of like enemies to lovers books that I like that like really really hit for me, I usually think of fantasy and I usually think of them that are like mortal enemies or they have like their families are enemies or it's something like your kingdom hates my kingdom, like, that type of vibe. And I think that in rom-coms, when you read both genres, they're just a little bit, not disappointing, but they're just not as tension-filled or not as, like, they don't have as much sustenance and, like, claim backing the hate that the two characters have for each other, I guess.
0: Yeah. um, I... I would say that a lot of authors use enemies to lovers as like a blanket statement for the actual trope itself rather than using the words rivals to lovers because enemies to lovers is kind of like a buzzword. Um, I don't think it doesn't work. I've read enemies to lovers, quote unquote. In rom-coms and really enjoyed them. I think it's up to personal preference and the way that the author writes it, obviously. Like, I think it's hard because I feel like in real life, like your enemies are kind of your rivals. You know what I mean? Like, who has like actual enemies in real life? Because I feel like that that entails competitive nature. Yeah, I feel like enemies entails like physical. Dominance, like i'm gonna kill you you know like i don't know <laughs> yeah. that's what i think enemies so i think they're they kind of go hand in hand i think maybe we should start to call it rivals to lovers instead of enemies to lovers unless they like actually do despise each other and then maybe um like maybe it was like a mafia romance and it's like oh you're the daughter of this rival mafia like i'm gonna marry you if you don't do this you know i don't know um i don't hate it I think maybe it should be worded differently as Rivals to Lovers, because oftentimes it is Rivals to Lovers, in this sense of the word, I guess. If I'm making sense, great. If I'm not, I apologize. Um, <laughs> I agree with Sophie that I prefer it in fantasy over rom-coms, but I don't, I, mean, I wouldn't sit here and say that it's never going to work.
1: Yeah, I as agree. Well. I think that you hit the mark with the Rivals to Lovers thing, for sure okay the next one we have audiobooks are reading and people who disagree are ableist
0: and yeah i agree is there anybody out there with working brain cells that doesn't um i mean let me just go on my little tangent here what the hell (laughs) are yeah i'm sorry do blind people not get to enjoy books because they can't physically see the words Yeah. Why do audiobooks exist if they aren't a form of reading?
1: Yeah. What is the point? I think what it's founded on too is that people are almost envious of individuals who listen to a lot of audiobooks and they think it's like an easier way of digesting that information and that you can listen to it faster than you would read a physical book or e-reader or whatever. But I think it really is found founded on envy and jealousy in some ways and people try to invalidate other people's reading methods and it's ableist for sure but it's also just like why grow up someone yeah it's just like who cares about other people's forms of reading I'm actually like
0: angry about this um yeah first of all it's not even just blind people that you are invalidating what about people with physical disabilities that can't hold a physical book Can't turn a page, can't hold a book in their hands. Whether or not they don't have an arm or they don't have hands or they're paralyzed or just have physical disabilities that make them immobile or make it difficult for them to hold a book. Like, hello? Did we forget that other people exist? I just think
1: that people that have that opinion clearly don't recognize all sides of it, in my opinion. Like, I think that they just don't... like see why like audiobooks are accessible they're very nice for people who work long hours they're very nice for people that may have some sort of issue with attention span um they're just really convenient and I think that especially because they aren't for everybody some people have stronger opinions on them
0: and I have a strong opinion that they're wrong so Sorry, I think if you are going to feed your jealousy into an opinion like this, because somebody else is reading audiobooks and they're reading more than you are and you think it's convenient, you think it's easy, whatever. you, you sh- if It's you immature and it's
1: ignorant, you know yes. what I mean? Because if you can they comprehend don't a book,
0: not- then you should have enough brain cells, and I'm putting this very aggressively but if you can comprehend a book right then you have enough brain cells to also comprehend that you're wrong like you are just jealous that's point blank yeah that's what it is you should be able to comprehend the fact that your statement that audiobooks aren't reading is ignorant ableist and just why do they exist if it's not reading yeah i don't know what to tell you. okay The next one we
1: have, I wonder what your answer is going to be, is it's okay to
0: skim a book sometimes. Okay. (laughs) I agree. I think that there are plenty of books out there where there's a lot of filler. There's a lot of even fantasy books. Like, obviously, read as much as you can, you know, digest the book, don't just run your eyes up and down the page and then flip it and say you read the book but i also think there are times where i'm reading a book fantasy romance whatever it may be and there's a paragraph where it's like just put on her
1: red crop top
0: yeah like (laughs) i don't need like all of the little details if they don't add to the story or won't matter later or there'll be some internal dialogue that i'm like okay like, does this really matter? Not really. Like, and I will do the way I do it is like I'll skim it, and then if something snags my attention, I'll go back and I'll reread it. And they'll be yeah. like, Oh, I didn't need to read that. I'm just stupid. Or I didn't need to read that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of like a I'll skim it. And typically, I am reading every word on the page, but they're just you're different. reading
1: it faster than yeah. you
0: normally would, I guess. Um, I also think skimming might not work for some people like yeah it doesn't move super fast that it works but I I think it depends I agree I
1: think skimming a book especially if you're like maybe in this situation kind of like what we were talking about with like DNFs like there's been times where I'm kind of like starting to skim and see like is this piquing my interest Mm -hmm. is this information valuable am I you know what I mean um I when I say skimming, though, like I said, it's more so just reading it faster than I usually do. So Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think skimming a book is,
0: is okay sometimes. So the next one is interesting because these are three authors that I enjoy. Um, they said, Allie Hazelwood, Anna Huang, and Lauren Asher books are just not for me. Okay. Personally...
1: I enjoy these authors Lauren Asher took me a second I didn't but that I only read one of her books and then kind of just didn't know if it was for me but love redesigned hit um I think that certain author styles are you know every author has like a different style of writing and if it doesn't work for you then like that's fine like no one like judging someone based off of their like personal preference is kind of like towards authors like that's just kind of like eh um my only advice or opinion on it is like i definitely think that you shouldn't just like throw away their books and be like i'm never reading this author again unless you like really really feel strongly about it then like you know just don't force yourself to read them but i think it's always good to give authors another try because especially with like for me like with lauren asher i read the fine print i didn't enjoy it it wasn't necessarily based off of lauren asher specifically but i just didn't enjoy the book and then i read love redesigned and i love it and i loved the writing and i loved every part of the story so and i know a lot of people have opinions on allie hazelwood books but for me she's i love her i love love her
0: her. yeah she's auntie we love her um Uh, As somebody who is coming from a little bit of a different perspective than Sophie because I read Lauren Asher, loved them. Read Anna's books, loved them. Read Allie's books, loved them. I agree. I don't think that you should automatically, you know, discount an author because you haven't enjoyed some of the books you've read by them. Unless, you know what, maybe you did give all of their books a shot, you know, and they were just not hitting for you. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why you put yourself through that pain, but <laughs> I get it. You know, I just think, like Sophie said, it's literally just preference. I think for authors like Anna Huang, like specifically, their their writing is very accessible. There is a reason that they are the most popular book talk authors out there Um, on to- on top of Colleen Hoover or Emily Henry, which I wouldn't say her writing is necessarily like accessible. I do think that you have to kind of like really focus when you're reading an emily henry book but whatever that's besides the point but i would say that they're accessible for a reason their writing isn't life-changing by any means it's not so outstanding that it sticks out from every other author but i do think that they have the capacity to make great stories like yeah love redesigned is a great book i personally love the dreamland billionaires books i Really enjoyed some of the books from the Dirty Air series by Lauren Asher. I really enjoyed the Twisted series for the most part. Twisted Games lives on in my heart forever. (laughs) Um, I enjoy the Kings of Sin series. Um, And I love Allie Hazelwood. Allie Hazelwood, I think she shines a light on a very special, special type of woman and man. And I think she highlights women in STEM and does a great job highlighting that. I also think she's a great author. I think she has the capability to write so many different types of characters and stories. But if it's not for you, it's not for you. And okay, I mean, it also depends on the types of books that you like. You know, like, what kind of writing style do you lean towards? And how does that differ from these authors? So, okay. The next one we have is Twisted Hate is the worst book in the
1: series and Josh's actions cannot be justified. Jenna, take it away. I've
0: been waiting for this one. I, okay. Now, before I get burned at the stake, <laughs> hear me out. I get why people love Twisted Hate. I get why people love Josh Chen. I get why it might be some people's favorite book. Whatever. They are an enemies to lovers. Okay? Yeah, it's a good example of, like, an actual like, enemies to lovers
1: dynamic in a romance genre I feel like I agree
0: however I everybody's least favorite man in the twisted series is Alex Volkov my least favorite man in the twisted series is Josh Chen I have a vehement dislike for this man um I remember reading twisted hate and I was vibing with it you know I like Jules I think she's a fun, interesting, cool female character. I liked her, and I liked Josh at the beginning. And then he turned around and did that fuck shit, and I was like, you know what? Screw you. Jump off a cliff. Like, I was like, this ruined the book for me. Like I was so unhappy that I no longer rooted for the couple. I finished the book because I was like, there's no way. I read 70% of this book. For this to happen i am not giving up now like my opinion might change but i think what he did if you haven't read the book i won't say the quote but what he did was mean that was mean and he did it's it malicious it was yes.
1: manipulative it-, it was gross to read as a reader um it made me uncomfortable
0: <laughs> yeah and especially like as you read the book you start to understand jules's character why she did what she did in relation to what this issue is and like just her past her issues and he oh talk about adding salt to a wound yeah twisting the blade and not okay in my opinion it it was it would be different if she didn't apologize it would be different if she didn't own up to her actions and if she didn't take responsibility for the mistake that she made if he found out and he was like Oh blah 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 and she was like oh yeah sorry and he was like it's okay and then did what he did but that's not what happened Mike, drop and I apologize if you love this book and if it's your favorite please don't hate me I just really 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 don't like what Anna did with that storyline I agree (laughs) okay I everything you said yeah so this one is mine, so I'm going to read it, but I think that people don't talk about Cassian enough as a character separate from his relationship with Nesta or him being like, you know, this Illyrian warrior, lord of bloodshed. Um, I think that his character carries a lot of depth and he's a very intriguing character in terms of his personality in comparison to what you know he's been through. And I don't think that in A Court of Silver Flames, his story was fleshed out enough. And I know that it was Nesta's book. It's Nesta's story. It's more focused on her, but it's also he's there. So I kind of wish that we got more of him in terms of like his depth and his growth and just him as a character. I feel like we got a lot of that from Reese in, you know, the first three books um, and I feel like we didn't really get that with him. And I feel like people don't really appreciate him outside of being a book boyfriend and being, you know, an Illyrian warrior. He's so badass. It's like, yeah, no, but like, what about traumatized, broken Cassian who went through all of this hundreds of years ago and has had to grieve so many people? That yeah. He cares about and loves and had to deal with this. Drama, like we don't talk about that yeah I don't I fully agree and I think that where
1: the foundation lies for me is I think that um Sarah had the opportunity to kind of add a little bit more to his storyline and I wish I saw it but it doesn't deplete his character at all because I do think that we get a lot of bits and pieces but I wish we got a little bit more and I hope that in the future there's a little bit more there um and I think that a lot of people kind of do view him as like a book boyfriend, or you know, Nesta's partner, or one of the Bat Boys. Like, I just wish that people kind of like talked about him more as a character as well. um Like you've said, and I think that that's kind of why I really enjoy his bond with Feyre because he actually relates to her a little bit, and I think that they have a, a few moments that are pretty like vulnerable, and they open up to each other, and he's very much there, and I think the same goes with his relationship with nesta there's a lot of parts where he like bears her his heart out and is like giving her advice that comes from his own experiences so i wish that there was more of him and i guarantee that we'll probably see i i, I doubt we wouldn't but i doubt we wouldn't see more of his character in the future but i kind of was hoping that a court of silver flames uh, dived a little bit more into his character however I did see from the grapevine don't take my word on it that um, Sarah had a hard time getting in the head of Cassian and I think in some ways it makes sense because a lot of what we see with Reese isn't necessarily in his head but she's also writing third person which is a different like, it's just mm-hmm. it's interesting because when you get Reese's point of view, it's it's like straight in his head. And I think she yeah. built a foundation yeah. for his character that's so strong. Um, and we see a lot of his vulnerability, especially in like chapter 54. Like we see a lot of who he is deep, deep down. And I just wish that we were able to see a lot of who Cassian is deep, 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 deep down, you know? Yeah.
0: I just I love him.
1: I know I, I, I want to give wish. him a hug.
0: I wish, I think, because Court of Silver Flames is such a character-driven, rather than plot-driven book, um, and it is very much focused on, you know, character growth and depth and stuff like that, I just wish that she applied that to both of them. In some way, shape, or form, even if it wasn't in Cassian's point of view, and it was just kind of like, you know, Reese and Feyre, where it was him telling her his story. yeah. Just more in depth, I guess. I just wish people appreciated him and saw him as more than this hunky, beautiful man with seven siphons and the ability to murder everybody and just, you know, tell you to put your hands on the headboard. You know, I think he's more than... I agree. I think he's more than just a brute, and I think that that's a lot of what his character focuses on. Yeah, I agree, actually, 100%. The next one is also one that me and Sophie both agree on, but one that I will bring up in every conversation with somebody. And it is that women should pee after sex in romance books. And the fact that they don't is baffling to me, especially because romance books are written by women for women. And um, as somebody who grew up reading Smut on Wattpad when I was 12 years old, I obviously didn't know you were supposed to pee after sex. And I feel like since the romance genre is the most popular genre being read currently for the last, like, four years, I'm sure there are plenty of 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old girls reading romance books that have smut in them that don't know everything about sex, and I think it's an important thing that should be mentioned. I was going to say, I think that if you
1: include protection, I think you should include the aftermath of it is kind of where the foundation lies and i think that that's something i learned from like people around me like growing up like hey you can get a you know an infection so you got to do that like that's something that everybody should have the opportunity to learn because they don't really teach that in i have no idea i don't think
0: I had no yeah. idea until I talked about it with friends in conversation Yeah, as I got older. And honestly, I've said this before on my TikTok, um, you detail the man pulling the condom off his ween and throwing it in the trash, but you don't oh. mention the woman getting out of bed to go pee. And then they, the thing is, it's like, I don't understand it because it is a, like a literal thing. Like, if you don't yeah. pee after sex, you will get a UTI, and those are painful. They aren't fun. Why yeah. would you want one? Did these women in these books walk around with fucking vaginas of steel and don't get UTIs? Like, is this real life or is it not?
1: You know what I mean? The divine and it, vagina.
0: <laughs> and like, it just pisses me off. Like, I don't need... Oh, and then she sits down on the toilet and she pees for 30 seconds. I don't need the details of it. But just a brief mention that she gets out of bed to go use the restroom and then comes back and cuddles and falls asleep rather than yeah he gets off rips the rubber off his ween throws it in the trash and then climbs back into bed and you guys fall asleep if you're gonna tell me that tell me she goes pee yeah my like hello if you're a romance author and you're listening to this please explain i would like an answer
1: (laughs) especially in those bizarre places like hot tubs pools
0: yeah what is going inside of you girl what is going, chlorine in there and you're keeping your pee up in there go take a piss go piss girl (gasps) okay so the next two i'm gonna read
1: off because um jenna had her little her strong opinions but we both feel strongly about these two as well and i felt strongly about hers as well but the next two are we have the amount of books you read in a year shouldn't matter slash it's not bad to read a lot of books in a year and obviously I think both of us can say that and I think we're coming from the people that do read a little bit more than average but I think with the foundation of it and I'll try to keep this brief in a sense is that there's nothing wrong with how many books you read whether you read a lot whether you read a little bit or you read one book a year I don't think anybody should judge somebody off of their the amount of books they read in a year. I think it's kind of it's kind of almost rude to do that because you really don't know what's going on in someone's life um both ways. Someone could be a full-time ER nurse and not have a lot of time to read. So why are you saying that they should read more? Or someone like me or Jenna, we just have we make time for reading. And I think that that's what the foundation is. Like don't invalidate someone because they read a lot or they read a little and a lot of the argument I've seen for people saying you read so many books oh my gosh how do you read all this and digest it is that like they're just like thinking that we don't take in the information and I don't really get that because I am not reading for the number Mm
0: -hmm. I am reading
1: for my own enjoyment for my own experience and I just think it's kind of like just kind of like sad that we're judging people based off of that and I know it happens a lot and you like that like I remember seeing a lot on TikTok at the end of 2023 because people were coming out saying I read x amount of books this year and a lot of people were like that's unrealistic how do you have all that time and one thing and I don't want to call any specific people out but I have heard that people say it towards mothers and that infuriates me genuinely because why would you have any right to go in and say that people should be taking care of their kids or their animals or work their job and because they read a lot of books they're not doing any of those things that's just rude and immature and it comes from a very ignorant perspective where you don't understand any of this person's lifestyle and what time they make to read. I've seen mothers that literally spend their time reading at night because they enjoy this hobby. This is their hobby. This is their reprieve from their everyday life where they probably have to sit there and take care of their kids and they make time when their kids are taken care of, asleep,
0: fed, whatever, to read. And that's my opinion and that's on I don't know she's standing on business and so am I yeah um I fully agree I am somebody in 2023 I read 297 books and I own that and there's nothing wrong with that and there's also nothing wrong with reading 29 books in 2023 or nine books or two books or one book like Sophie said I have a lot of free time and that's Okay, I don't need to be doing something with every hour of my day. And if I choose to spend that reading, okay, why Why does it affect you? It doesn't. Newsflash, it doesn't. Um, I'm not saying that everybody has to read 297 books in a year. I don't care how many books you read in a year. It doesn't make you any less of a reader to me if you read 200 books or if you read one book. If you enjoy reading, then you are a reader and that is that. And exactly, I think hating on people for reading a lot of books in a year is like sophie said stupid and ignorant and i think hating on people for not reading a lot of books in a year is stupid and ignorant i don't think it matters and i really just think you should mind your own business like yes i'm sharing this information publicly but it doesn't affect you i'm not sitting here and saying that you need to read at least 100 books to be considered a real reader so why does it matter like, and no one is, fle- like, some people might be, like,
1: showing off how much they read. But a lot of people are just acknowledging that that's how much they read. And you know what? It's, let them be proud of it. Yeah. Let them uh, be proud no matter what the number is.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I acknowledge that I read more than the average person. I'm not stupid Like, I'm not, you know, oblivious. I know I read more than the average person. But I could go back to every single book I read in 2023 and tell you what happened in them. i am digesting the information just because i'm reading so many in a year doesn't mean that i'm not and going off of what you said about mothers (laughs) i think when people become mothers people forget that they are also humans underneath that they are also just a mother and they are allowed to have hobbies and interests that are outside of their children because uh guess what nine months ago they were a human Just because (laughs) somebody else came out of them doesn't mean that they are no longer a person with a personality and a hobby and a life that exists outside of having a child. That's just an added factor to them now. And they're allowed to read when their kid is napping. They're allowed to read till 5 a.m. because that's the only time that they have when they put their kids down. They're allowed to read when they're sitting on their chairs with their baby in one arm and their kindle or their book in another and it doesn't make them any less of a mother it doesn't make yeah. you any less of a human being i'm sorry you are ignorant do you hate you... on
1: people that sit there and say i binge watched nine seasons of this show this year nine seasons 24 episodes 45 minutes long do you hate on those people yeah. are you saying that they don't digest what they're watching do like it's just on mothers kinda... that enjoy yeah. watching tv exactly this ties into reading a lot of books and audiobooks. Yep. Boom. Done. Liked wap.
0: <laughs> Both clearly infuriate me. So <laughs> don't don't bring them up to me unless you want to hear me talk for an hour. <laughs> so, the last one we have is
1: my very personal opinion. Um, cliffhangers aren't bad and are more memorable. I will ride a, ride or die for this, and I do not judge people who don't like cliffhangers. I, that's not what I'm, like, basing the foundation off of. But I'm saying that for me personally, I know I don't hate cliffhangers. And I, it's not that I, like, prefer them in any sense, but I think that they are more memorable. They make me more excited for the next book. They build that anticipation up. They just make it such a, like, experience. And the biggest indication of this one is a hundred percent the ending of House of Sky and Breath. I mean that was a great marketing tactic, Sarah James, because now she's left us all for nearly two years waiting for this third book to come out. And the anticipation, the buildup, there's people that have they surround their lives around what's gonna happen in this book or theorizing what's going to happen in this book i think it just adds so much to the experience and makes it so much more enjoyable in a way um and literally zodiac academy not many of our listeners have probably read this like i genuinely like i wish that more people would read it and i understand why people don't but Zodiac academy is very known it's it's infamous for their cliffhangers there are cliffhangers that had me In a puddle on the floor, unable to respond, Mm. shall I say. I basically think every single book has a cliffhanger in its own form. Some of them are more deadly than the others. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at you, four and seven. I'm looking (laughs) at you. (laughs) Um. And honestly, I think it just elicits a response in the reader that makes them interested in the next book, that builds the anticipation up, and I genuinely think it makes it more memorable. If I, like, I can look back at the books that have had a cliffhanger and been like, I will remember that, and I remember how I felt in that moment, I remember the visceral reaction I had, and I think it just makes it so much more interesting, in my opinion.
0: I would agree. I do agree with Sophie here. Yeah. Um, I would agree that I think it makes it more interesting. I think it makes people more excited for the next book. That's obviously the point of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, I, a series that comes to mind outside of Zodiac Academy is the Bonds That Tie series by Jay Bree. Every yes. single one of those books ends in a cliffhanger. And every single time I finished one of those books, I was like, I need to figure out what's going to happen at the start of this one. Like, I wanted to pick up the next book immediately because of the way the cliffhanger left off. And the book Sophie and I are reading right now, I finished it last night at an ungodly hour, we're not going to talk about it. Sophie is finishing it up today. I literally sat in bed mouth on floor. <laughs> no thoughts reeling at the cliffhanger and I was like, I you need this next book immediately. <laughs> like <laughs> I was I literally it, it was you know what I'm going to tell you and you can't judge me. It was 5:30 in the morning. And I literally contemplated reading the next book. I literally contemplated starting it, and I was like, "No, this is Jenna. This is unhealthy. Need <laughs> help." Um. But I also think that a cliffhanger speaks to the talent and the ability of the author. If you True. can create a cliffhanger that grips your readers enough to make them want to read the next book, whether or not it's coming, and then out, follow through with it
1: yes like start the next book basically immediately after and be like here's what's going on it feels like it was like a seamless transition like the end of an episode of the vampire diaries into the next one
0: yeah um to be able to write something that's that intriguing um and follow through with it it speaks a lot to the talent of the author like for example like sophie said house of sky and breath the second crescent city book the cliffhanger that SJM leaves you on has left people for two years begging and pleading for the third book to come out. And that is it for today's episode. Um, I apologize. I got a little heated there for a moment. Um, I just, I'm just such a passionate gal, you know? If you're listening to this on Spotify, um, there should be a little like Q&A comment section. So if you have any unpopular opinions you want to share with us or you want to comment on any of them that we talked about today, please leave them below and we can...
1: Yeah, we'd love to hear your input and we want to thank everybody that sent us their unpopular opinions because that's always appreciated. We kind of struggled forming our own because we don't feel like we have too many, but um, it's always nice to talk about these and we would love to hear your input as always.
0: Yes, and thank you so much for listening and for joining us today. Um, We also wanted to mention that we are working on figuring out some sort of video format for the podcast. We have had a lot of people request it and ask us if we would be doing one. Um, So we are kind of like, do we do YouTube or do we just upload it to Spotify? Um, We're we're figuring it out. We're trying to get all our ducks in a row um, and see what that means In terms of you know our future you know yeah um but once we have more updates on that we will obviously let you know on the instagram which is blfd podcast so go follow it (laughs) um yes but and i
1: hope everybody's excited because the next episode we will be together
0: together that's something to look forward to um yeah we've got exciting things planned um We will have, you know, our little schedule up soon. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. And we love you. We love you all. And we will see you next week. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.